any children who remain and be dismissed for children's church and preschool. Those remaining, if you'll find Acts chapter 2 in your Bible or a pew Bible, so you can follow along. We've been studying Acts chapter 2, verse 42 for quite a while now, uh, taking each segment at a time and, and trying to figure out what being the church should look like and what we should be doing. And as we've done so, the picture that emerges is a group of people fueled by the gospel and the Holy Spirit, sort of like picture a pot on a burner. And the flames beneath the pot are the gospel, what Jesus has done for us and his transformation in our hearts and the Holy Spirit given to us. And that burns beneath the church. And what bubbles up, at least what bubbles up in this example in Acts chapter 2 of the church before traditions were added on, before the layers of church history were added on, what bubbles up is this fourfold devotion. Acts chapter 2 verse 42 says, And they, the first Christians, devoted themselves. They gave themselves to, persisted in continually, the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. So when the gospel and the Holy Spirit burn beneath the church, what bubbles up is this fourfold devotion to the teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. So being the church means devoting ourselves, giving ourselves over to learning God's word and living in light of it. Being the church means increasingly worn out Bibles as we study it for ourselves, as we discuss it in our, around the dinner table with our families, as we take it back and forth to work, uh, to read on lunch break, as we take it to church to discuss it together over Sunday school and, and to look at it while I'm preaching during the service being the church means devoting ourselves to this, devoting ourselves to learning and living in light of what we learn and changing as we learn and live in light of it. Being the church looks like being devoted to one another in fellowship. It looks like us increasingly getting to know one another and our lives uh, interweaving with each other's as we share more and more of our time with each other and our resources with each other. It looks like breaking bread together often, using that daily rhythm of meals to, as, as connect points to be with each other, having folks over to our house, going out after the service to share lunch, potlucks even, and it looks like devoting to prayer. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Prayer is a massive subject to try to tackle in one sermon. So we're going to be here all the way up to the Southern District Rally at 5 o'clock. I thought that would be more convenient for you. You don't have to go home. Um, what? Yeah, we're going to break hot dogs together tonight. Oh, <laughs> you already hungry? The way I've decided to tackle prayer in this sermon and what it looks like to devote ourselves to prayer uh, I've just combed through the book of Acts and observed and studied all the examples of when the church prayed in the book of Acts to get a clear picture of what it means that they devoted themselves to prayer. Because devoting yourself to prayer is a lot different than just saying a prayer. Devoting yourself to prayer is different than just saying a prayer before you eat or closing your eyes while I pray on Sunday mornings. So, I did that and I came up with three characteristics that to me stand out the most 
in how the early church devoted themselves to praying. Okay? Now, before I launch into trying to preach these to you, it might be appropriate for us to pray right now since we're, I'm preaching about prayer. And what I want us to do is it's just going to be a little stretch of silence. There's not going to be any piano playing or anything. And I want you to pray for God to instruct you in this and to develop in you a desire to pray and to teach you how to pray. And then at the end of the service, we're going to have an opportunity to pray together again. So would you bow with me and interact with God about this? Father, I know that it does not matter how well I preach this sermon. We will not become a people devoted to prayer unless you do it. Unless you move in our hearts in such a way through the gospel and stir up the spirit within us in such a way that we cannot help ourselves but to pray and pray together. So we all submit to you now and I I look to you, Lord, please do miracles in our hearts and among us and make us a humble praying people even now even this morning in jesus name amen so the three characteristics that have stood out to me the most in acts of what their devotion to prayer looked like are togetherness devotion and power togetherness devotion and power so we'll tackle togetherness first The Christians in Acts, many of them were new believers. So they had the gospel of Jesus Christ. They had the the new heart that we receive through believing and trusting in the gospel. And then they had the Holy Spirit poured out into them, which fills them just with supernatural power and new desires. And they naturally set themselves on top of prayer. They naturally continually devoted themselves to prayer together. They had no books explaining how to pray. They had no examples of how to pray together as Christians. It just flowed naturally out of them. But they didn't just pray. They prayed together a lot. Now, I'm assuming that many of you have some level of discomfort praying together with other people. Uh, I'm that way. It's natural. But there's one fact that we can't escape is that the church prays together. This uh, gentleman named Charles Finney, he was one of the leaders of the Second Great Awakening back at the, the latter part of the 1700s, early 1800s. And he says this about praying together. Nothing tends to cement the hearts of Christians more than praying together. There's no other activity in the church that will cement our hearts together like praying together will. He says later in that quote, something to the effect of, we never love each other as well as when we're praying for and with one another. This is crucial to being the church. Now, I think one of the reasons why praying together is so effective at cementing our hearts together is because it dissolves pretense. 
is very hard to pretend when you're praying with someone. So when we're here and we're devoting ourselves to the teaching, we can do that with a facade that we're doing fine, that we've got it together, and we're okay. Uh, if we're spending time together, um, you know, one family this weekend had a bonfire, invited friends over. You can do that. You can spend time together with a facade over you that things are good. You can even break bread together often with a facade. And you can share a lot of meals together and, and keep secret compartments within. But it's very difficult to pray together with a facade. If you are just roiling with conflict or fear or um, guilt and shame over sin or excitement over something, if, if that is burning within you, God knows it. You know it before God. And when you come together with your brother and sister in prayer, it's very difficult at that point for you to pretend that that stuff isn't in there. And really for you to do so is a bit dishonest. And it's hard to be dishonest before God who knows you completely. Have you ever had an, an instance when your worlds collided and you have maybe one group of friends that you're a certain way with? You know, maybe you're the funny one in that group. And then you have the way you are with your family. And maybe because of all your family dynamics, you're just different with them. And it's like there's two different yous. And then some strange mishap happens and that group of friends and that family are together at the same time. And you're torn because you're trying to figure out which one of you are you supposed to be, the funny one or the reserved one? Has that ever happened to you? Or is that just, am I the only one that's that du duplicitous? That is a word, Randy. Randy always catches me after the service with words that he thinks aren't real. So when we come together in prayer, our worlds collide. And the real us, you know, naked and unashamed before God, collides with the us that we've been projecting with others. So those people that you pray together with are going to be those people that you grow closest to. And that's why it's really important for spouses to pray together, for families to pray together. So in Acts, you see many examples of them praying together. In chapter 1, verse 14, this is right after Jesus ascended. He gave them the great commission and they saw him just ascend. I don't really understand what that must have looked like. And he said, wait, I want you to go make disciples of all nations, but wait, I'll send you a helper, the Holy Spirit first. Don't try to do it without the Holy Spirit. And so we see what they did in the meantime in Acts chapter 1, verse 14. All these, all the disciples, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus. They were all with one accord, all united, giving themselves, giving themselves over continually to prayer. Chapter 4, you see a beautiful example of them praying together. Um, this is after a couple of them had been arrested and under trial and the rest of the Christians were back together just praying, hoping that they'd be released. Uh, I'm not going to read that whole passage to you because I want us to have a good bit of time for prayer. But go back and read Acts 4, verses 23 through 31 sometime. You know, they release those disciples and they come back. It would be as though they come back to probably one of their homes and they find that they were all there praying and they're all so excited that God has answered their prayer in real time. But they're praying together and they're praying out loud clearly because he's able to record part of their prayer. So there is biblical precedent for praying out loud together. 
Over in uh, Acts 12.12, we see another example of it. This is after Peter is miraculously released from prison. He's in prison and he thinks he's sleeping and he's having a dream. And he sees an angel say, hey, get up and come with me. And he does. And then after the fact, he realizes, oh, that wasn't a dream. I'm really out of jail. And then in verse 12 of chapter 12, when Peter realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. It was a regular thing in uh, Acts 20, 36 and 21, 5 through 6. Paul is leaving the early church to go out as a missionary and they're all very upset. And what they do, as he says farewell, is they, they drop to their knees and they pray together. One of those instances, they're on a beach praying together. So it's not even just within rooms, it's wherever they find themselves. They pray and they pray together. So some of you may be uncomfortable praying together with people and out loud, and there may be many reasons for that. And I'm not going to force you to do it, so don't start getting nervous. I'm going to invite you to do it later in the service, but I'm not going to force you to. I do want you to consider why you might be uncomfortable with it. I think all of our reasons for discomfort with praying together with our brothers and sisters gather under two main categories. Okay, one of those categories might be that your relationship with God isn't so great. And you're uncomfortable praying and talking to him with your brothers and sisters because you don't want people to realize that. You, you don't ever pray, maybe. Or maybe there's some sin that you know is standing between you and the Lord that you need to confess and repent of. And you haven't done that yet and you're not ready to. And so you don't want to go into prayer and act like you're okay with the Lord and be dishonest. You know, maybe one of the reasons you're uncomfortable with praying together with others is because you need somehow to get back connected with God. Okay, that's one possibility. Another possible category of reasons you might be uncomfortable with praying with other Christians, it may just be personality. Some people are introverted and they're equally uncomfortable just having a group conversation as they are praying in a group. Okay, that's one reason I'm not going to try to force you into anything today. It may be that many of us function best in group prayer, praying along quietly and absorbing the prayer needs of our brothers and sisters to be praying for them later. It may not be that everybody needs to pray out loud when we're praying together in a group. There are no rules about it. But don't, if, if, if it's... Option number one, if the reason you don't like praying with people is because you don't really know the Lord or you're not really in good relationship with him, don't brush that aside and use this as an excuse. But if this really is the way you are, it's just how God made you, that's okay. This isn't like a good Christian, bad Christians. Good Christians are comfortable praying out loud together. Bad Christians aren't. It's not like that. But we can still pray together even if you're not the one leading the prayer or praying out loud or... And you might surprise yourself praying together. The Holy Spirit might move you and you've never been comfortable before, but the Spirit may lead you to pray something specifically for someone in the group. Who knows? Uh, so don't feel pressure to do things that are unnatural to you. But know that as the Spirit works in you, praying for and with your brothers and sisters is going to be a natural outgrowth. Okay? So... The church, being the church means praying, devoting ourselves to prayer and praying together. 
Now, remember that word devotion. That's the other big characteristic that stands out. They were devoted to it. They persisted in it continually, steadfastly. They gave themselves over to prayer. This idea of devotion is tricky. You know, that word devotion is used about 10 times in the New Testament. Five of those times are used in connection to prayer. Three in Acts, two in other letters of the New Testament. We're meant to devote ourselves to it. Now, I don't want to guilt you into praying because that's not how people change. But I do want you to consider what are you devoted to? Some questions to help you consider what you may be devoted to. Devotion is sort of your default. Okay, when you're not doing the things you must do, it's what you default to. So what do you do when you are free to do whatever you want to do? What do you do when you're free to do what you want to do? That may be what you're devoting yourself to. What is it that while you're not free to do what you want to do, you would rather be doing? What's your I'd rather be? While you're at work or while you're sitting here listening to me go on and on, what is your thing that you wish that you could be doing? That's probably what you're devoting yourself to. Think of your top two, three closest friends. What is it that you share in common with those people? That's probably what you're devoting yourself to. Think of where you you invest your resources of time and energy and money. Those things are probably what you're devoting yourself to. Okay, and being the church involves a shift in devotions. Okay, these fourfold devotions are sort of like the wheels on the car. If they are spinning, we have traction. We're moving forward being the church. If they're not, or if they're removed, then we're not going to be the church. You know, it doesn't, if your car is on cinder blocks with no wheels on it, it doesn't matter how clean it is, how polished it is, how uh, nice the leather interior is. It doesn't matter how great the sound system is. It's just a weird, inefficient storage building at that point. And that's the way the church is. If, if we try to skip these things, if we try to be the church without devoting ourselves to the teaching, each other, and the prayers, we're not really being the church. We're like a car on cinder blocks. So what are you devoted to? Maybe that's where your prayer should begin today. Lord, work in my heart and, and shift my devotion to the things you would have me to be devoted to. In Acts, we see them default to praying together often. If they need direction and guidance, they pray together. If they needed, if they wanted to celebrate something good that God had done, like releasing a prisoner, they prayed together. When they were moving forward on mission for Christ, they prayed together. Uh, when there was trouble within the church and interpersonal conflict, they prayed together. When they were choosing leadership and, and commissioning new elders and missionaries, they prayed together. When they needed forgiveness of sins, they prayed together. When sick, injured people needed healing, they prayed together. When someone needed to escape danger, they prayed together. When someone they loved was saying goodbye, They prayed together. This was a default position for them. It was a natural, normal thing. That's what being the church looks like. So it involves praying together. It involves being devoted to prayer. And it involves power. And this is the last point. 
I think one of the reasons that we maybe are slow to pray is we don't actually believe there's any power there. And we think that it's really up to us. When the whole of the Bible is God trying to say, it's not about you, it's about me. It's not about your power, it's about my power. And I want you to pray, I want you to come to me with your needs and your burdens, and I will supernaturally come through for you. And he does all through Acts. Uh, In one instance, they're praying and the very ground is shaken beneath them. And people are filled with the Holy Spirit. People's sins are forgiven through prayer. People are raised from the dead. Tabitha, a little girl, died. And through prayer, God raised her from the dead. When they needed direction, they prayed and God gave it to them. God showed them who they should appoint to be the next leader. God showed them where to go with the gospel next. God saved people through prayer. God added to the church through prayer. God got the gospel to new people groups through prayer. God released people from prison through prayer. God healed broken, sick people through prayer. There is power in it. So this may be unprecedented, but I'm done with the sermon now. And I just want to invite you to prayer. And don't get all uncomfortable on me. Um, the way I'd like to do it in a few moments, not, not just yet, I'm going to invite the deacons to come forward. The deacons and I will be here. I would like to invite you, us to pray and to pray together. Okay? Now, some of you are desperately uncomfortable with that. I'm not forcing you to do anything. Some of you, it may be most appropriate to stay where you are and pray by yourself. You've got things you need to deal with before you can honestly, transparently go pray with people. I get that. Some of you, there may be any number of reasons why you're better suited. It's more appropriate for you to pray by yourself this morning. Okay? So that's okay. Now, what I want to see is many of you who are not in those situations to come and pray together. So if you are in a situation where you desperately need direction, you're at some crossroads, you've got some choices to make, you've got some uncertainty that you need to know the Lord's will, come and share that with, with the group that you cluster with and let them pray for you about that. And you pray about that. Some of you may be sick. Some of you may have ailments and you just need to ask God for healing. I think God still heals. Okay, come and share that with the cluster of people that you're praying with and let them lay hands on you and pray over you. Some of you may need to receive Christ and get started with all this. Come and share that with your group and pray together to be saved. Some have people that you are so worried about because you don't think they know the Lord and you are desperate to see them saved. Share that with your group and let them pray for that with you. Whatever it may be, Whatever it may be, let's pray together. So I've asked Terry if if she would come and begin to play quietly. We're going to just give ourselves a prayer for a little bit. Um, I'm uncomfortable with this. I really am. I'm a very straight-laced, I like edges to everything kind of guy. And I don't know how this is going to go. Maybe that no one comes forward and I'm standing here with the deacons like a bunch of idiots. You know, I prayed through this. I'm, I'm prepared for that. I feel like this is what the Lord would want me to do. Um, I, I, I worry sometimes that some of the way we go about church are the equivalent of Adam and Eve's fig leaves. 
that our, the way we go about church is designed to continue to hide ourselves from each other. If we can become a church that prays for and with one another, that will fall away. We will, we will grow close. We will begin to fellowship. We will begin to be the church. Okay, so during this prayer time, I expect to hear praying out loud. I expect it, I expect it to be a little messy, and that's good, and that's okay. Okay, so if Terry, if you would begin to play, if any deacons who are in here, we don't have a ton who are here today uh, who aren't doing other responsibilities, but if you would come forward with me, um, we're going to stand up here and I'm going to pray over our prayer time. And then if everyone would just keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed, pray at your pew or come and let us pray with you in groups. Okay, let's bow together and pray. Father, please move in our hearts now. Um, We've never really done anything quite like this since I've been here. I pray that you would stir in our hearts uh, those you want to come and pray together. Bring to mind those things that we need to be praying about. We're moving such a way that we can do like the early church did and naturally and simply lift our concerns and joys and worries up to you in prayer together.